Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Maurice Frank said that loyalty is the center of self-respect and human dignity. It is a force which leaps into being only when conditions are exactly right for it. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we want to thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is the subject on the table for today? Well, Rick, our question is, what is the true meaning of loyalty? And our theme text is found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Okay, so the question again, what is the true meaning of loyalty? Humanity is built for loyalty. We have wired within us a longing to be seen and accepted by others as trusted and important. We're also blessed with a deep desire to give allegiance and live with faithfulness to those whom we deem worthy of our fidelity. If you just stop and think about loyalty for a moment, you'll realize that it permeates all of our life decisions. We gravitate toward those people and things to which we attribute comfort and security, and we stay away from those people and things, which we see as sources of alienation or disappointment. So, what makes loyalty work? Are there conditions that should always be present when we give or receive loyalty? What happens when we misplace our loyalty? How do we know that our chosen loyalties are good or even healthy. So Jonathan, a lot coming up today. First of all, the problem, one of the big problems is most loyalty is weak. So we want to find out what the signs are of feeble loyalty. We've got some pretty extraordinary examples to help us with that. We're also going to look at the kind of loyalty that's not weak, but that inspires and what makes that kind of loyalty special and how do we get that going in our own lives. Got some great examples of that as well. After addressing both weak and inspirational loyalty, we're going to go into loyalty, and this is important, that's misplaced. It's startling how easy it is to fall into the trap of misplaced loyalty. So we're going to figure out how, how to identify it and then to stay away from it. And then finally, we're going to look at three areas that we as Christians need to focus on to develop abiding lifelong loyalty. And again, the examples that we have here are to inspire us all to action. But first of all, what we need to do is figure out what loyalty is and what actually makes it work. So Jonathan, let's get started with that. What is loyalty? What makes it work? Let's, let's look it up in the dictionary, huh? All right. And loyalty means unswerving in allegiance, such as faithful in allegiance to one's lawful sovereign or government. Another definition faithful to a private person to whom faithfulness is due. And lastly, faithful to a cause, an ideal, a custom, institution, or product. So the key word in Merriam-Webster's online dictionary there is faithful. If you're faithful to something, you're loyal to it. 
And I'm sure we'll be talking about this, but one of the things you think about being faithful to is your marriage. Absolutely. And that's the thing I was thinking of. Yeah. I was, I would have answered it just like that. Well, and and that's why this loyalty is so important because that's one of the key covenants in, in our lives that gets so easily broken. It's like, okay, let's learn to be loyal. Let's, let's learn to rise above whatever else there is. How do we do that? So first let's get started. Let's go to a soundbite from uh, ACI, The Science of Loyalty, What is Loyalty, from uh, Odyssey Creative. And these are just different people's perspectives when asked the question, what is loyalty? Loyalty is all about appreciating what you've received from other people and organizations and providing your allegiance back to them as well. To me, it means staying true to myself and true to whoever um, I'm associating with. So balancing the two things together. Loyalty to me is sticking by your product, your principles, and yourself. And dedication, always being there, trying to do the very best for what you belong to. Trustworthiness and honesty. It's an interesting concept. It's, it's one word, but it means lots of different things to different people. But I would say being trusted. So trust is an important factor to create loyalty. You know, I think loyalty is something that doesn't just happen in a short amount of time. It's something that has to build up. Uh, it means Stand with them through the good and the bad times. Well, those were all really good, good expressions of loyalty. They were absolutely, and you know, and, and like the and, and what came up in all of those expressions over and over again was trust, and you know, being faithful to and 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 you know, true to yourself. You know, trust and true. Good words to help us understand the idea of loyalty. So, Jonathan, we're going to be using. We're not going to quote from, but using an article from this called "The Science of Loyalty" from the Meta Journal. That's www.meda.org, the Meta Journal, uh, and that states that there are three beliefs behind loyalty. What are what are those three beliefs? Well, the first is a sense of trust. Okay, so and that's something that you know everybody was saying in that last soundbite. What else? Uh, secondly, a sense of belonging. And a lot of them were alluding to that with, you know, the organizations that you are working with and believing in or, or a part of. And what's the third thing? A sense of purpose. So trust, belonging, and purpose. These are three beliefs that need to be behind all of our loyalty. And I, and I thought this was a good place to, for us to get started with the conversation. So with these three beliefs in mind, where and why should Christians place their loyalty? So this is, the, this is like the foundational question. And we're going to start with the biggest, broadest, strongest, most important foundation that we know of. And what is that going to be? Well, Rick, it's loyalty goes to God first and always. Okay, this precept that loyalty goes to God first and always is the foundation for any loyalty of any value. So the first cardinal rule of loyalty is if it's loyalty to God first, if God, loyalty to God can be reflected in whatever else we are doing, okay, we're good. So let's just get a sense of the loyalty to God. Let's go back to the Old Testament where God was very specific about loyalty to him. We're going to just drop in very, very briefly on the Ten Commandments in an abbreviated fashion. We're not going through all ten. Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 8, and then, you know, we're going to pick selected verses here. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You have no other gods before me. Okay, so that's the introduction 
to, to the Ten Commandments. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so the first command is, you have no other gods before me. That is a command that says, you are loyal to me, God, and nobody else. First and foremost, right? Right. What's the next one? You shall not make for yourself an idol. And then he goes on to explain, you know, all the things about making idols and, you know, what's not good. But that's another loyalty to God command. These are not the ten suggestions. (laughs) (laughs) These are the ten commandments given to his people Israel in the Old Testament. Have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourselves any idols that will take away your attention from me. And what's the next commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Again, it's about loyalty to God. It's, look, not only am I your only God, you should not have other representations, but you should not take my name without seriousness. You should not speak my name in a flippant manner, in a joking manner. You know, when people say, oh my God, you know, it's just, it, it kind of, it kind of like, it kind of touches you inside like, ooh. It does, that hurts. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and <laughs> my wife is very famous for saying, oh, you're praying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. <laughs> but you know, things like that, we should be really respectful of the name of God. And then the, the, the next commandment is what? The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that's still about God. So it, it is. Four out of four of the first commandments are be loyal to God. Be loyal to God in all of these different ways. So the Ten Commandments show us how to be loyal to God. The next six commandments are about being loyal to the human family, which is essentially being loyal to God. So I think that's the underlying theme of the Ten Commandments. Loyalty to God first and foremost, that's that. So, Jonathan, we're going to have a recurring theme that's going to come up every single segment, and that's about God's loyalty. So, so just frame that for us. What is it? Those to whom God Almighty is loyal receive his attentive and never faltering care. Those to whom God is loyal. You know, we're going to spend most of our time talking about how we can be loyal to God and to one another, and others can be loyal to us and so forth and so on. But every single segment, we want to make sure it's understood that God is loyal above and beyond. And the first point on that is that those to whom God is loyal receive his attentive and never faltering care. What's the scripture for that? Psalm 121, 1 through 4. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He will keep you. Uh, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Okay. And Rick, uh, this is this verse here. God is always faithful to us if we are back to him. But Rick, uh, what happened when Israel, when they weren't loyal? <laughs> what what happened to them from God's viewpoint? Well, you know, it's interesting because he was still loyal to them, but his loyalty took on a different form, and it took on the form of punishment. <laughs> so, you know, and that's and that's that's exactly what a parent should do. A parent but that's sh- still being loyal. Of course I like it is. That. Of course it is. He was loyal to them and he and he because he would punish them so he would teach them 
that that's not the right way to go. That's what a good, loyal parent does for their child. So this is important. Where does our help come from? It comes from God who made heaven and earth. He doesn't slumber or sleep. So his loyalty is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. God's loyalty is turned on to those who honor, worship, and reverence him. That's pretty cool. Uh, I'll take that promise. (laughs) Thank you, Heavenly Father. All right. So what's next? Where? Okay, okay, loyalty to God first. What's next? Well, it's got to be, Rick, loyalty to uh, Jesus second. Okay. And that only makes sense because Jesus, for the Christian, is the centerpiece of who and what we follow because he is the son of God. And, you know, we'd mentioned the three beliefs that go behind loyalty, a sense of trust, a sense of belonging, and a sense of purpose. Let's apply those now scripturally to see how Jesus showed us how he, how we could find our loyalty to him. First of all, sense of trust, John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So you can really trust somebody who can assure you that, don't worry, I did it. I got the job done. You don't have to worry because I have already done what needs to be done. See, that's somebody you can go to and say, okay, I'm with you. Oh, for sure. You know, and it's not like somebody saying, okay, look, we're going to do this test and hopefully it's going to work and we want you all on board because it might work. And if it works the way we really kind of hope it might sort of work, <laughs> then you, know, and you don't feel that sense of loyalty. But, no way. but Jesus is saying, I have overcome the world. We have a sense of trust. What about a sense of belonging? Luke nine twenty three through 24. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So Jesus is talking about coming after him, following in his footsteps, belonging to him by wanting to be his disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and daily follow him. That gives us a sense of belonging. We belong to something that is, is really uh, important and really, really protective as well. What about a sense of purpose? Matthew 5, 9 through 10. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I really think that one of the primary purposes for the Christian is to be a peacemaker. Now, peacemaker, uh, we, we, we talked about that, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, maybe several weeks ago, whatever it was. The idea of being a peacemaker is not just you know calming everybody down. It's a profound activity that is Christ-like, and that's the purpose. Not only are we to try to do that in this world, but we're called to be peacemakers for and with the world in the next age in the Ministry of Reconciliation. And we weren't supposed to be peacekeepers. Right. We were supposed to be peacemakers. Yeah, because... And and, and being peacemakers means you have to say some truthful things that may not be comfortable, but you're willing to step out in righteousness. Yes, exactly, exactly. Peacemaking is a lot harder than peacekeeping. So, Jonathan, we're looking at loyalty to God and to Jesus. We're going to have, at the end of each segment, a loyalty learned lesson. And so what's our first loyalty learned lesson here? 
Well, Rick, it says God and Jesus must be the foundation for all of our other loyalties, lest they be corrupted at that very outset by foolish pride. So for a Christian, it's important to have God as the basic foundation of everything. It's also for a Christian important to have Jesus built on that foundation as a secondary foundation because he defines our life of sacrifice. So it's not enough for a Christian to be loyal to God and his precepts, but we are supposed to be loyal to God and his precepts and to a life of sacrifice built on following after Jesus. That is the basis for our loyalty. Those two things. Can't do it without those two things. But Rick, the foolish pride, uh, that corruption, how easily that can happen with ourself uh, being involved. And we're going to get into that in a big way very, very soon. So the first big thing with loyalty is a pretty simple big thing. God first, always. What are the potential traps and delusions we may come across as we attempt to develop loyalty? We've been studying scripture and discussing how biblical history collides with world history in today's culture for 20 years on radio and in podcast channels. If you're curious about how the Bible or Christianity applies to what you have faced and are facing right now in your life, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Listen live or on your own time. Then reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. Even though we may be hardwired for loyalty, it does not mean we are good at it by nature. On the contrary, the development of solid loyalties can be constantly challenged by a myriad of deflating and deluding outside circumstances. Yeah, that's depressing. Sometimes our loyalties are just weak and they need to be strengthened. So, Jonathan, this is something that we want to really focus on uh, in this segment is weak loyalty that needs strengthening and and how can you identify it and where does it come from and what do we do to, to go from weak to strong so this so, so you're saying wimpy loyalty is, <laughs> is prevalent and we need to fix it we need to correct it yeah wimpy loyalty yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> you know too often we're wimps in our loyalty we just are so let, let's get started with a soundbite this is from trent shelton and he <laughs> I love this guy because he's just fired up about what he believes in, and he's talking about relationships, loyalty, and he's saying it's rare. And, you know, just, just listen to the passion in his discussion on the rarity of something so important. Look, I'm going to be real with you. Loyalty is very hard to find. It's rare. You know, finding somebody that's going to stick by your side through the ups and the downs, the thick and the thin, the good times and the bad times, it's rare. You know, most people are going to be in your life depending on the situation. If the situation benefits their life, they're there. If it doesn't, they're gone. So finding somebody who's going to be there through it all, it's rare. You know, finding somebody or having somebody that stayed in your life when they had every single reason to walk away and they still stay, that's rare. If you got that type of loyalty in your life, do not push that person away. Do not push the person away that's been loyal to you. That's powerful stuff. Oh, that is. You know, and, and he's he nails it. It's rare, and the, the difficulty is sometimes we push them away anyway. And he's saying, look, hold on to that, because that's somebody who really, truly believes in you and, and, and whatever it is the circumstances are. Keep them. 
They're so important. That's not wimpy. So let's, let's look at weak loyalty. Weak loyalty can develop because we're simply intimidated by circumstances or by challenges or whatever it is. Great example of this is who? Who are we going to look at first? Elijah. Okay, Elijah. Now, Elijah, it was a great man, a great prophet of God. He neutralized the intimidation that the people felt by showing that loyalty often needs courage for it to shine. Now, let's just, this is a, this is a detailed story. We're going to tell it in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to leave out a million details, but we want to get to the core of his loyalty and then how the people reacted. So, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 22, we're just going to try to sum up this story really quickly. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Okay, so Elytra, Elijah is facing Ahab now. He's been hiding from Ahab for three and a half years. Yeah, he has a death sentence on his back. Right. The, ki- the king wanted him and wanted to kill him immediately when he saw him. Yes, and so he says, you troubler of Israel, because since Elijah said there hasn't been any rain. And so Elijah neutralizes the intimidation. Now, this is the king of Israel. And Elijah says to him, he said, look, I haven't troubled Israel. You have. Wow, that's a truth. I mean, he point blank truth right. to a king. Right, to a king who has the power to behead him right there on the spot. And he stands there and he says, you are the one who brought, who's brought trouble on Israel because you have worshipped idols. And we already talked about the Ten Commandments in, earlier in the podcast. That's courage, Rick. So he's neutralizing intimidation with truth. That's the first way that you deal with wimpy, um, wimpy loyalty. So here's what he go, does. He goes a little further, verses 19 and 20. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So Elijah is basically saying, here's the interesting thing. He's giving the king a command. That's something. (laughs) Yeah, and the king is listening. And he's saying, gather the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of, of the Asherah. Bring them all together. Let's, get, let, let's have a conversation, all of you and me. Oh, I bet the king's saying, oh, this is going to be good. Right. He's <laughs> gathering 850 of his best who are idol worshipers. So Elisha, Elijah sorry, is neutralizing the intimidation. First he told the truth. And now he's in neutralizing the intimidation that we might feel when we're feeling wimpy by facing whatever the challenge is, as God directed him to do so. I don't believe that Elijah is just making this up. I think God is putting it into his mind, this is what you need to do. We're going to make a statement, and I'm going to make it through you. And so he's doing God's will. So when we're feeling wimpy, we have to understand courage is necessary, we have to focus on truth, and we have to face the difficulties through a God-directed approach. So, what happens next? In, in verse 21, and we're going to stop the story after this. It's too bad, because this is such an awesome story. But anyway, verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, 
How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Okay, so Jonathan, pause there for a second. So what's Elijah doing when he talks to the people of Israel? He's giving them an opportunity to prove their courage and loyalty to God or Baal. Right. He's putting them on the spot. And what happens? But the people did not answer him a word. Wimpy. That's what it is. They just heard crickets. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, but here, but listen, think about it. Now, Elijah is neutralizing the intimidation by bringing the people face to face with it. He's saying, yes, I get the intimidation. There's 850 of them and there's one of me. (laughs) But he says, if the Lord God is God, notice he didn't make it about him. He made it about God. Perfect. He says, if he's, if the Lord God is God, follow him. He doesn't say follow me. He says, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Just make a choice. And the people were quiet because they were scared. Of course, the odds didn't look good. No, they didn't. 850 to one. Yeah. But true loyalty would have said, somebody stand up and go stand behind Elijah and say, I'm with you because I'm with God. But nobody did. Nobody did because they were too scared. Of course, we know what happens. Elijah wins this battle in a dramatic, dramatic way. But this is such a great example of loyalty because you're God's chosen people, but you're not really living that loyalty. You're being very neutral about your loyalty. And loyalty and being neutral don't really fit together. No, they don't. And so we got to be careful of that. We don't want to be like Israel, faced with that question and being quiet, not knowing what to do. We don't want to be like that. No, we don't. So let's go back to God's loyalty to us. Go ahead, Jonathan. Um, to those whom God Almighty is loyal are protected. Okay. Let's read Psalms 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? You know, and a psalm like that is such an appropriate answer for the wimpiness that we might feel in a circumstance like that with Elijah. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? I mean, if God's protecting me, what have I got to worry about? Of course, that's easier said than done. But so here's the thing, Jonathan. I'm not Elijah. You know, just a little announcement there if people haven't figured that out already, okay? Your name is Rick. (laughs) Yeah, my name is Rick, and Elijah and Rick are really, 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 really different. So what are some practical ways that I can show my loyalty to God now? Because I'm I'm just a regular Christian guy who wants to be faithful. What, What are practical ways I can show my loyalty? Well, I was thinking we should not be involved with politics and the affairs in this world because our loyalty is to God and his kingdom. Okay, now now hang, hang on there just for a second because, you know, didn't Elijah go face off with the king? Oh, he did. And, and, it, and it was because it was Israel, God's chosen people, that he stood up for. Okay, so the, quote, political involvement of Elijah was really spiritual involvement because it was about worshiping God. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Okay, go ahead. And a few um, examples of loyalty to God. Uh, how about honor your father and mother? I mean, if we do that, we're being loyal to God. How about fulfill your marriage vows? You mentioned that earlier. Also, fulfill your commitment to God every day in following in his son's footsteps and in doing God's will and not your own. Following his instructions should not be an option for a true follower of Christ. 
Okay, it's not an option. And see, that's what true loyalty is. True loyalty is not optional. They're not the 10 suggestions. They're the 10 commandments. We have to be firm in our decision to follow. Wimpy loyalty is simply not firm. And when we find those individuals who are really loyal like that in our lives, we really need them to stay in our lives as long as that loyalty is to you know higher causes, obviously. But let's go back to Trent Shelton just for another few seconds here uh, in, in terms of relationships, loyalty being so rare. Do not push the person away that's been fighting for you. Because I'm going to tell you something. That person is rare. It's going to come a point if you keep on doing the same things, it's going to come a point where they can't take it anymore. It's going to come a point where they stop being loyal. It's going to come a point where they stop giving their forgiveness. Do not take a loyal person for granted. Cherish that person. Love that person. Appreciate that person. And most of all, change for that person. Get it right, man. You know, and he touches on one of the most important aspects of life and that is when you are receiving loyalty and it's wholesome and good and pure, you need to give it back. Mm, and I if like you that. don't give it back, eventually, because we're human beings, that loyalty may very well stop and you lose something incredibly valuable in life. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll be talking more about that later on. Back to weak loyalty. Weak loyalty can develop because we are immature by trying to act all grown up. Okay, we're trying to act grown up, but we're really not mature. So it can be weak loyalty can come from intimidation. It also comes from immaturity. The Apostle Paul overpowers the immaturity by teaching that loyalty has integrity. It doesn't matter how mature you are. Integrity never changes. First Corinthians 1, 11 to 13. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are some quarreling among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So he's looking at the Corinthian church and saying, look, I've been told that you guys are just not growing up. You've got this divisiveness amongst you, and you're dividing yourselves according to the one who you feel like is has is, is been most important to you. I'm a Paul, Apollos, Peter, or Christ. And he's saying, look, and it's interesting that he, he takes himself and he tries to pull himself right out of that right, right away. He said, you know, was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Get me out of that. You know, he's like, he's, he's so frustrated by the weakness of their loyalty because their loyalty has taken on... Uh, a direction that is just simply not appropriate. So he's addressing the immature errors of their judgment, the foolishness of taking sides based on our own judgments when we've all been called already to be on the same side. And Jonathan, the lesson here is really simple. What is it? It's be true to the call. To the call. Be true to the call. Not to my interpretation of the call. Not to the parts of the call that I'm most comfortable with that fit into my lifestyle. That's not it. Be true to the call, first and foremost. Let's go to another scripture a uh, couple of chapters later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants 
through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So let's take these verses apart here, Jonathan. First of all, he says, look, you're just regular men. And look, if you're a Christian and you're trying to, to live that life that's Christ-like, if somebody says to you, look, you're just like a regular person, that's not wow. a... <laughs> yeah. You hurt like, oh no. It's like, no, I, I'm trying to be like Jesus. Yeah, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? Don't tell me exactly. that. I don't want to hear that. What's wrong? And he's saying, because, and then he gets specific, because you guys are, are so divided as to who you are following, you have gone down the wrong path. And then he says, look, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? And the answer is really simple. They're servants through whom you believed. That's all we are. Paul and Apollos, that's all we are, servants. As the Lord gave opportunity. I planted and Apollos watered. But what's the bottom line here? God caused the growth. Not us, God. So we serve God's cause. We each did our part. And we leave the growth up to God. Yes. So now, Paul and Apollos didn't have the issue between them. No, they didn't. It was Paul setting things up and Apollos following through. And they had a wonderful work relationship in that way. But the people were saying, well, I like, really like the way the Paul you know, approached things, so I'm going to stick with Paul. And others were saying, yeah, now Paul, you know, he's, he gets too abrupt sometimes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Apollos. And he's saying... You're all wrong. You can't do that. Because you're all immature. Right. You, you, you need milk. You're not, you're not mature enough for strong meat, for true strong doctrine, because you can't even get this right. So he's talking to them about another kind of loyalty. He's talking to them about team loyalty. And he's saying, you know, and you know, when we're talking about Christians, it's really body of Christ loyalty. But in terms of today's language, Team loyalty seems to fit pretty well and pretty easily. He's saying you need to be operating together as a team. And, you know, and Jonathan, there are loads of movies that give you a sense of teams that, that couldn't pull it together until they became a team. Uh, you ever see the movie Remember the Titans from a yes. long time ago? Yes. You know, the, the black students and the white students were forced together into a school because of integration way back in the 60s or 70s, whenever it was. And, you know, the football team was just divided until they figured out that they were one for all and all for one kind of thing. And then they became unstoppable because their coach brought them together. It doesn't matter who's who and what's what. You are all titans. And that's the lesson for us. We are all Christians. It doesn't matter where we come from. We should be working together. So what's our loyalty learned lesson here for the wimpiness we're dealing with? For loyalty to be strong, it needs the conviction of truth, the courage to stand, and the integrity to act in accordance with God's predetermined design. God's predetermined design. Not mine, not my feelings about it, not my take on the matter, but with God's predetermined design. You know, it's kind of scary to think how easy it is to claim to be loyal when all you are, really, is wimpy. What are some examples of courageous and mature loyalty in action? What can we learn from them? Before we turn the page, we wanted to tell you about CQ Rewind. It's a free weekly service provided by our great team of contributors who help the guys prepare for each episode. It's an in-depth look at their research, scripture, and much more, showing you the map of Rick and Jonathan's content journey. 
Now let's continue finding out the better answers as we ask the better questions. The Bible is full of loyal examples as each and every hero of faith displayed a loyalty to God that was both strong and true. Our next examples will focus on allegiance in action both towards God as well as towards one another. Here is where constancy and fidelity rise above everything. And, and Jonathan, I've been waiting to get to this segment because this is where you say that's what loyalty looks like. You know, we this, look. This is inspiring. Yeah, because we're we're not just looking at God and Jesus, but now we're looking at real people doing real things in a very loyal fashion. Let's start this segment with. Um, a, uh, a piece from a talk on loyalty by James Kane, uh, jtkloyalty.squarespace.com is where it comes from. And he is speaking to an audience of medical professionals about loyalty. And he says there's basically three questions that you need to be asking to people that you want to do services with and your, your, your patients as well. So let's listen carefully to this. This is something that is a science that all of you should certainly appreciate. It's understanding, though, how we work. You understand how our body works. I'm going to tell you how our brain works and what happens with every patient you have, what happens with every relationship that wants to come and be a part of your organization in one form or another as to why they would be loyal to you and why they wouldn't. And it is not about trying to manipulate them. It's simply about changing your own behavior. You see, loyalty evolved in us to answer these three questions. Do you make my life safer? Do you make my life easier? And do you make my life better? When you can answer those three, you'll make anyone loyal to you. Safer, easier, and better. When you can answer those three, you'll make anyone loyal to you. And, and you know, that makes a whole lot of sense. Because the, the idea is you want to bring something to others that is of value to them. Safety is always value. And if you can make things easier, great, do so. And if you can get anything better, then yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want, wouldn't, wouldn't want better? Well, Rick, true loyalty must often be expressed selflessly. And see, that's the thing as a Christian that we have to focus on. To help others with the safer, easier, better, we need to be focused on they are really, really important. Let me, let me be loyal to them and show them. A great example of this is the loyalty between David and Jonathan. So we're going to drop in on a story. We're going to condense it way down. David had been anointed to be king. Remember, he was the youngest of the sons, but Saul was king. His best friend, David's best friend was Jonathan. He was son of the reigning king Saul. Now, what was wrong with Saul at this point? Saul was a little mad, <laughs> going crazy, and yes. he did not like David, and he actually was trying to kill him. Right. So David knows this, and he asks Jonathan for help. Now, this help would go against Jonathan's own father, who happens to be the king of Israel. The mutual loyalty that David and Jonathan have saved David's life as they plan a way for David to be alerted to trouble. So we're going to drop in on 1 Samuel 20, verses 20 to 23. This is Jonathan speaking about, okay, I'll take your word for it that my father is trying to kill you, although I'm not sure that that's true, but I'll take your word for it and I'll run the test for you. And here's what I will do to help you if, in fact, your life is in danger. First Samuel 20, verses 20 to 23. I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And behold, I will send the lad saying, go, find the arrows. 
If I, I especially say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come, for there is safety for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to you, behold, the arrows are beyond you, go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So Jonathan is saying, okay, you're supposed to go to the feast. You're not going to go hide out. After three days, I'm gonna, I want you hiding behind this specific rock. I'm going to stand over here, and this is how we're going to work this to let you know. And so there's this incredible planning for protection between the two of them. And, and Jonathan is basically saying, I'm going to make it simple for you to understand whether you need to run away or if it's safe for you to come back. So you see the beginning of the loyalty in Jonathan being willing to stand against his father if his father is standing against God's anointed David. And of course, you remember Saul tried to kill Jonathan in between. I know, threw a spear at him, yeah. just missed. Yeah, so Jonathan figures out that, okay, yeah, he, like you said, he's mad, he's, he's, he's not well, and David is his target, and so I've got to warn him. So Jonathan does this, and you know, this, this could put Jonathan's life absolutely in danger. It really could, Rick, but true loyalty is a two-way street. And see, that's the thing about the loyalty between Jonathan and David. It wasn't just Jonathan putting himself out for David. There's a two-way part to this. This part of, uh, as part of this loyalty between Jonathan and David, Jonathan asks David for something very specific, a very specific promise of protection in the future for Jonathan's family. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Uh, let's jump down to verses 14 and 15. If I am still alive... Will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, nor even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David. So let's think about this. He's saying to David, look, I know you're supposed to be the king. And I know that you're supposed to take my father's place, not me. So he's saying, I know that my family is in jeopardy for their very lives because once a king comes into play, usually in all the other nations, the, you know, the person who was previous king, you know, if they took over, everybody else dies. The family is yes, executed, right. right? Right. So he's saying, look, I'm asking you, whether I'm here or not, let my line live. Let my children, let my family have a place to live. So he's asking David for something very, very, very different than the nations around them would have done. Loyalty is a two-way street. So we've got Jonathan doing something for David, and then Jonathan asking David for something to be done later on. So what happens with loyalty now, Jonathan, in our, in our story? Well, Rick, true loyalty has a long and detailed memory for living up to commitments. And that is such a powerful statement. True loyalty has a great memory, especially when it comes to things that I said I would do. Long after that promise, Saul and Jonathan died in battle, and David is now king. Now look, there's nobody around that would have remembered that conversation between Jonathan and David because Jonathan's gone. That's right. So what happens? David is king. We're now in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 3 through 7. And again, this is selected verses. The king said, 
Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he said, Here is your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show him kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Okay, this is thoroughly inspiring, and it's got details in it that we just need to pause and and bring out. First of all, David's king, and one of the things that he does to get started is, he says to his servant, isn't there anyone left of the house of of Saul uh, for whom I can show the kindness of God? You mean not slaughtering them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, but think about it. He's not just saying, on whom I can show my benevolence as king. Wow, He's saying kindness I'm, of God. Because he made a promise, and the promise was a promise of respect and loyalty for friendship of somebody protecting God's anointed. David was God's anointed. Jonathan stood to protect him. And so now Jonathan is gone, and he's saying the kindness of God must be expressed because of the promise made and because of Jonathan's sacrifice on my behalf. So he says, well, okay, the servant says, yeah, there is Mephibosheth, uh, his son, uh, Jonathan's son, who is disabled. He, he can, can hardly walk. He's crippled in both legs. So Mephibosheth comes before for David, and, and he bows before him. And you know David calls his name, and the man replies, here's your servant. You've got to be wondering what he's thinking. Oh, I know. I bet he's scared. Yeah, would have been. But what's David's response to him? What, what does David say? Well, he's going to restore all the land of his grandfather, which was King Saul, and then he's going to eat regularly at the table with David. So David brings Mephibosheth into his own family. He's honoring him. Every day for the rest of his life. Now, Rick, this is a God-driven focus. Yes, and that's the kindness of God, and that's what loyalty looks like. Even after Jonathan's not around to say, remember your promise, David not only takes care of him, but he takes care of him under his own watchful eye. To me, that is just one of the great, great examples of loyalty. And that's what we need to strive for, that kind of loyalty. And it was a godly loyalty because this was trying to do the will of God in a very, very, very difficult time. So we see this great benevolence on the part of David, giving all the credit to God. But Jonathan, like I said last segment, I'm no Elijah, okay? Well, here, you know what? I'm no king either, okay? (laughs) No King David here. How can I simply and completely live a life just that is, is a loyal life? Well, Rick, to stand up for God and his word, how about when things aren't going well and God is being put down? I had a personal experience uh, with this recently with a family member. They wanted me to fight for their cause and to stop my Christian walk. And they wanted me to stand up for their cause um, in such a way because they thought theirs was a greater purpose. But from my viewpoint, the injustice that they were fighting against uh, wasn't as high as God's way. 
I needed to stay focused and stand up for God and be loyal to him. And this, this is kind of what's behind it. Uh, Rick, a good question to ask. Are we more loyal to financial security or national security than to God? And my answer is, I hope not. Well, you know, and, and that sounds like, well, what do you mean? You're not loyal to those things? Well, yeah, we, we have a measure of loyalty to those things, but all within the context, within the context of God first as the foundation, Jesus as the, the, the secondary foundation, living a life of sacrifice, and anything that fits within that context, wonderful. But if it replaces that context, like you're saying, not so good. And no, trouble. <laughs> so we've got to be careful with our loyalty. And we want to have true loyalty, God first, Jesus second, following in his footsteps. What would Jesus do? That's an important, important question. And if we don't have an example of what would Jesus do, what would the Apostle Paul do? Or what would the Apostle Peter do? Or what would Timothy do? You know, we want to look to those who we can trust and say, that's the kind of life I want to live. Let's go back to James Cain, uh, jtkloyalty.squarespace.com. Uh, and he talked about these three questions. He's speaking to an audience of medical professionals. So we're just going to drop in on the next little section of his talk with them in terms of trust, belonging, and purpose. Because what we found is that our brain seeks three things. It looks for a sense of trust, a sense of belonging, and a sense of purpose. Every brain inside every patient, every relationship you have is seeking the same thing in you. Every time they walk into your clinic, Every time you ask them for money as an investor, every time you are trying to persuade a physician or a PA or a nurse or anyone else to come to work for you, this is what their brain is looking for. Can I trust them? Do I feel connected to them? And does this, is there something more to this relationship than just the exchange of money? Trust, belonging, and purpose. Really, really important in terms of loyalty. You know, we started out with uh, what Mr. Kane said, you know, is, do, these, do you make my life easier? Uh, safer, easier, and better, and now it's trust, belonging, and purpose. Is there something that I can identify, that I can quantify, that makes me want to be attached to you? That's what makes great loyalty. And you see the loyalty between Jonathan and David, and we saw that. We saw the trust, the belonging, and the purpose. We saw safer, easier, and better with Jonathan and David. Let's go to to the God part again, God's loyalty to us. Go ahead. Yeah, Rick. Those to whom God Almighty is loyal receive his instruction— Psalm 32, verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will counsel you with mine eye upon you. Now look, there is no better loyalty than having God say, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Wow. (laughs) That's an amazing God. And that's what loyalty is. I love you as you seek righteousness. And you said it before, you know, we've got to be seeking upwardly to be able to be blessed by him. But as we do, as we do that, he's going to teach us and instruct us and keep his eye on us. And, you know, when someone keeps their eye on you like that, it's because they deeply care about your well-being. And so when we go through the most difficult trials of our lives, we can trust in the loyalty of God. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. And Jonathan, just uh, very, very quickly, uh, well, actually, no, I don't have time for that. I'll see if I can mention the next segment. Uh, True loyalty is not just a statement or an intention. It's rugged and it's time-tested. And we saw that in Jonathan and David. Let's go to a New Testament example, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, about an example of true 
heartfelt, deep loyalty. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Okay, and then let's go to first. It's an example of just being loyal no matter what. First Corinthians eleven one, and then I know you had a comment there. I think. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Okay. And go ahead. And it's safer, easier, better. Really fits there, Rick. It does. It does. So we want to be clear in what we're dedicated to, and as the Apostle Paul gave us an example. He just dove in and stayed in the water. Whether it was too hot or too cold, he stayed in it. Whether it was choppy or calm, he stayed in it. Whether it was a tide that was pulling him in the wrong direction, he fought it, he stayed in. That's what we need to do. So what's our loyalty lesson here? Loyalty learned. True loyalty is a life-preserving, give-and-take, promise-honoring way of being. It stands strong in the face of hardship, always points upward, and is worth emulating. And boy, that is a mouthful. True loyalty is all of those things. Life-preserving, it's give and take, it's it's promise-honoring, it's it stands strong, and it's always pointing upward, and it's worth exampling, and that's the important thing. So, okay, this is so much more like it. When I grow up, I want to be loyal just like this. Loyalty in its proper place is inspiring and even life-altering. What happens when it gets misplaced? As we try to stay on track with research, sometimes you go down unexpected roads. That's part of education, debates, and differing opinions. You just can't take everyone at their word, and oftentimes you have to consider the other side of the story. That's why we're always asking our listeners to give their opinions on the questions we're answering. Message us at ChristianQuestions.com or through the Christian Questions app. Speaking of the other side, time to go in reverse with a CQ Contradiction. It's important to comprehend the elements and power of true life-changing loyalty as we've been doing. Understanding the disastrous consequences of misplaced loyalty is every bit as important. Just look around you and you will see loyalty applied on many levels and in many ways that are just plain dangerous. So Jonathan, in this segment, it's about misplaced loyalty. And Rick, with this subject, the first thing I thought about was gang loyalty. You know, you have to prove it over and over again. It, it's a powerful thing. And in gang loyalty, it's it's a life and death issue. Yeah, you know, and, and there, there are aspects of gang loyalty that you look at and say, wow, that is strong and powerful. But then when you look at the purpose, you think, okay, I'm not so sure. And, you know, for some people, it's survival and you're getting into difficult areas. But you, again, for us, it is loyalty to God as the broad foundation And to Jesus as our example in life, that is what our loyalty must be based on. Misplaced loyalty, though, happens all the time in our world, and it is a disaster for so many reasons. So let's take a look at some of the several things that happen with misplaced loyalty. What's the first one? 
placing yourself over everything else. Okay, and who's the example we're going to use here? How about Satan plowed the road for this? Rick? Okay, great. There's a great one right there. Okay, great. Thank you for that. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Make myself like the most high. You know, Jonathan, that was a breach of loyalty that was surpassed by none other. And right, right. As a matter of fact, we're going to come back to this next week because next week's subject is on betrayal. And we're doing loyalty first and betrayal right after because loyalty sets the groundwork for managing through betrayal. But this is one of the examples we're going to come back to. So please stay with us for that for next week. How do we strike back at betrayal? Because betrayal happens in our lives. And Jonathan, it is one of the most debilitating things that we can ever imagine. Mm. So Satan plowed the road for misplaced loyalty. Thank you. You know, I mean, and that's a sarcastic thank you if you haven't figured that out. Um, so Jonathan, here's the thing. Misplaced loyalty, another example besides placing yourself over everything else is what? Blindly following a fallen human being. All right. And Rick, we're going to use the example, and we're not going to like the name of this guy, Hitler, but what a disaster this caused. And, and you know, this is something that's really important, and everybody recognizes the, 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 the evil present with, with the things that were done in the name of and under the regime of Adolf Hitler. So what we're going to do is take a look at something. We're going to play an actual cut from August 2nd, 1934. This is the Weimark Oath of Loyalty to Adolf Hitler. I swear to God the sacred oath that to the leader of the German Empire and people, Adolf Hitler, supreme commander of the armed forces, I shall render unconditional obedience and in that as a brave soldier, I shall at all times be prepared to give my life for this oath. That was the Weimark, and they were the, the officers of the German army swearing their allegiance, not to the country, but to the man. Jonathan, those that didn't want to, quote, called in sick, didn't get away with that. They had to swear it later. There were many who didn't and did not meet with a good end. So Many were executed. Yes, absolutely. They were executed. There was another oath for public servants, and it was always swearing loyalty to the man, not the nation. And really what you're doing is you that's misplaced loyalty. When we follow an individual, we are always subject to being entirely misled. And Rick, this is why we follow Paul as he followed Christ only. Right. And he says that, follow me as I follow Christ. He made it clear that our, our guide is Jesus. He, Paul, was going to help us. And it's good. Look, Jonathan, it's good to follow other Christians as they follow Christ. If they sure. can help you along the way, go for it. Mm -hmm. But always be able and ready to get off the train if you need to. If that train takes a turn that's not toward Jesus, don't you be following that. 
that would be misplaced loyalty. So another misplaced loyalty, Jonathan, t- speaking of Paul, let's go to, uh, to his life beforehand. What is this misplaced loyalty? Well, Rick, ambitiously following an organization without questioning its practices. Okay, now sometimes we can do that. So we can, in Satan's case, we can place ourselves over everything else. That's misplaced loyalty. In the case of the example of Hitler, blindly follow a fallen human being. That's misplaced loyalty. And here, ambitiously following an organization without questioning its practices, Saul of Tarsus and his fierce passion for God, incidentally, fell into this trap of following an organization without questioning it. Galatians 1, 13 and 14. This is fascinating because this is before the Apostle Paul converted to become the Apostle Paul. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, when I was a Pharisee, I was going to be the best Pharisee there ever was. I had more zeal, and I was extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Notice he didn't say I was extremely zealous for God or for the law, but he says for my ancestral traditions, because he got tied up in Pharisaical thinking, which had gone off the rails and ended up being Christian haters and Christian uh, um, uh, hunters. And so... He had misplaced loyalty. He had tremendous ambition for God, but it was going down a road that was evil and dark. When Jesus came to him in that vision, did Paul sit and say, let me weigh the options? No. What did he do? He just changed. He just, he just changed. He, 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 he converted, and, and he was then baptized, and he completely changed his life. He never looked back. Okay. I'm not Paul either, okay? I'm, I'm no Elijah, I'm no king, and I'm no Apostle Paul. So what should I do if I find myself inappropriately loyal to a cause or a person? What should I do? Well, Rick, that's when we need to go to our brethren for help and counseling. And identifying a misplaced cause is the first step, and that's great. Our loyalty shouldn't be divided. Uh, an example I thought about, if you are in an inappropriate relationship or involved with someone who is not free to remarry scripturally, your loyalty is divided. Stop the wrong behavior, and then the Lord will bless you when your loyalty is in the right place. You know, and that's such an important thing. We may be doing something and wake up one day and say, wait a minute, what am I doing? We need to get the strength together to take that, that, that misplaced loyalty and make the corrections. You know, we can reason with ourselves, well, you know, it's already kind of going down that road, and uh, not so, uh, no, 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 no. Loyalty is all in. That's what loyalty is. It's all in, and we have to be all in with godly principles. Speaking of godly principles, what about God's loyalty to us? Well, uh, Rick, um, Psalms eighty four eleven. those to whom God Almighty is loyal are generously blessed. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And Rick, it's conditional. Do what's right. Okay. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So we have to be walking uprightly, and he gives us all good things. So what if you're walking uprightly and you're going through a miserable trial? 
And it's been going on for a long time. You say, wait a minute, these are good things? The answer is yes. Yes, they are. Because they're part of the bigger picture of God's loyalty to you, of his watching you with his eye, of his keeping an eye on you, of his giving you the blessing and the strength and the lessons that you need to become a stronger, more faithful follower of Jesus. So yes, even the difficult trials are the good things, even though they don't seem good at the time. Wait till you're past it, then look back and say, look at what, by God's grace, I was able to learn. Important. God is loyal to us. Let's go back to uh, James Cain, jtkloyalty.squarespace.com, um, and he had talked about um, you know the words and the and the um, and uh, did we do Cain before? Yes, we yes, did. Yes, we did. Yeah, the safer, easier, better, and uh, trust, belonging, and purpose. And now he's going to talk. He he brings up a simple game that was was put in place to illustrate the, some of the difficulties with loyalty. This is a fascinating thing. Listen to this. Very simple game that was created by a psychologist in Germany in the late 60s, early 70s. It was the ultimatum game. Some of you may be familiar with it. Very simple game. They took two parties, A and B. They told A, we're going to give you some money. You're going to decide how much B gets. B was in on it, too. They knew that A was going to decide. Round one, A gets $30. B gets $15. B's happy. Round two, A gets $100. B gets $15. You laugh, because you, th- you know the outcome. B's not happy. In fact, B's mad. Now, I want you to think about this. Why in the world would someone like B walk into an experiment with no money, do two rounds, come out with the exact same outcome? $15. Be happy in round one and mad in round two. It's because we don't judge our experiences by the outcome. We judge them by the process. That is enormous. If you are trying to have others be loyal to you or you're trying to be loyal to others, it is judged not by the outcome. It's judged by the process. And that is one of the big, big lessons we have to take from this this podcast today, Jonathan. It's the process that truly, truly develops loyalty. So let's go to another way that we can misplace loyalty. Now, again, just recapping, we can misplace loyalty comes from placing ourselves over everything else, from blindly following a fallen human being, from ambitiously following an organization without asking questions about its practices. What's the next reason for misplaced loyalty? Aligning yourself with those who oppose someone you are enraged at. (laughs) Okay, so essentially the enemy of my enemy is my friend. (laughs) How about that? Yeah, that's not good. Okay, Uh, we're going and again, folks, we're going to be talking about this kind of thing next week. We're going to be talking about betrayal. It's a really important subject. We want you to really uh, stay with us. Tell everybody, you know, because this is an important subject to 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 take apart and understand so we can deal with the trauma of betrayal. We're going to talk about Ahithophel, Jonathan, and and let's figure out who Ahithophel was. 2 Samuel 16, verse 23. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as one who inquired of the word of God. So also all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by David. So he was a great godly advisor of David's. Well, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And he rebelled against David after David sinned with Bathsheba. 
So now Ahithophel is going to change sides. He's going to become the enemy of David, and he's going to side with Absalom, David's son, who's rebelling against him, because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. 2 Samuel 16, 20-23. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give us your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go to your father's concubines, the one he has left to look after the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. So Ahithophel's misplaced loyalty counseled to commit the same types of sin that got him so mad in the first place. Oh, no. Isn't That's some, awful. Yeah, That's awful. There, there's something dramatically wrong with that picture. He's counseling Absalom, do to David what was done. Because, well, it was bad. It was bad, and I, I'm offended by it because it was my granddaughter. But go do it to somebody else's granddaughter. Go ahead. I mean, really, it's just, it's just like there's, there's no sense to that. But he was so driven by this misplaced uh, loyalty because he was so angry that he couldn't see straight. And here was a guy who knew how to counsel godly counsel. He was revered by King David. So what happens? Second Samuel 17, uh, one, uh, or I'm sorry, Second Timothy 1, 1 through 4. Furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Please let me choose 12,000 men that they may arise and pursue David tonight. Okay, that was actually just verse 1. So Ahithophel is not stopping. He says, Give me 12,000 men. I want the man dead. I'll go do it myself. Give me these men, and I, and I want to get it done. Well, things don't work out Ahithophel's way, and one of David's servants infiltrates and changes things, and Ahithophel realizes that he cannot overcome David. So what happens to Ahithophel, 2 Samuel seventeen twenty three. Now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey and arose and went to his home, to his city, and set his house in order, and strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. Okay, so he takes his own life. Why does he take his own life? Because he couldn't get revenge. Because his, his loyalty was so misplaced and so godless that everything he stood for previously became worthless to him. That's what misplaced loyalty can do to us. This was a tragic loss of what was once a wise and mighty counselor to the throne of Israel. So, Jonathan, what's our loyalty lesson learned here? Misplaced loyalty only produces disaster. We must check and recheck the motivations and connections of the loyalties that we hold to assure God is always glorified by them. Check and recheck the connections that we hold to make sure that God is glorified by them. Uh, Jonathan, uh, Trish is here. She's got a quick comment. Yeah, hi. I was kind of question that last sound that you just played. Um, I didn't get it. <laughs> okay. Could you explain that? I just didn't understand what... You were saying. Okay. Okay, so in that last soundbite, um, really what it came down to was um, the people in the, in the test uh, were given $15 each, and everybody was happy because there was a mutual understanding between them. In the second round, uh, the A group got $100, and they were instructed to give only 15 to the to the other people in Group B, and now they're mad because they don't feel like they're part of the group anymore. They feel like there's a lack of loyalty but the end result was, hey, you got just what you got the first round. What are you complaining about? He was proving it's the process that develops loyalty. You got exactly what you got in the first round. Why aren't you happy? Because the process they felt was violated. So loyalty is an ongoing thing. It has to develop. It has to continue to happen as we go through 
uh, our lives. And that's a really quick explanation at the end of the segment. She's saying, I still don't get it. I'll have to tell her later a little bit. But, but at this point, Jonathan, you know, if there's one thing we can learn from our world, it's how easily misplaced loyalty can be. Based on all these good and bad examples, how do we refocus and rededicate our Christian loyalty? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. Having a template for what to do in place is always good a good way to start. And fortunately, the scriptures provide us with countless examples of what that template looks like. We're going to focus now on three main loyalties that we should have. First to God, second to Christ, and third to one another as Christians. And we have to be clear on these are three major goals in our lives. We cannot second guess the value of these three major goals. We have to be focused on them and clear with them so that we can truly live loyal lives. Uh, and Jonathan, let's go to uh, James Cain one more time, jtkloyalty.squarespace.com. Um, and he gives a really good message in terms of establishing loyalty. And pay close attention to what he's referring to here. But if I can't know who you are beyond just what you do, I can't possibly identify with you. We fill our offices with it. We put pictures on the wall. We put trophies and all kinds of things. You are willingly telling people who you are. The question is, are you telling the right things and sharing the things that can make connections with people where they can identify with you? So that's all you have to do. Three things. Build a sense of trust, which you control, a sense of purpose, giving credit to the people who are making the difference to your practice, and a sense of belonging. So trust, purpose, and belonging. But he says something really, really important there. And he says, you can't build loyalty unless you let people know who you are and not just what you do. You know, that is such a, a, a foundational point if we would like others to be loyal to us. They're not going to be loyal to you based on just what you do, based on the trophies and the certificates on your wall, based on the, the markers of achievement. They're going to be loyal to you as a human being. Who are you? You know, people are attracted to accomplishment, but they're loyal to people. That's what we need to be. If we're going to be in that loyal sense, we want to be those people that others can be loyal to. So, Let's go back and now let's let's begin to wrap this up, refocusing our loyal to God and loyalty to God. And, and Jonathan, this example is, is who in what situation? Well, Rick, it's the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace. Um, and the, the point is be steadfast to God. Okay. We remember the story, you know, from the book of Daniel, the three Hebrews that are put into this fiery furnace. And again, we're going to drop in on a complex story on just one little part and focus in on it because what we're going to see is undying, unflinching, unshakable loyalty to God. I love this story because it is so clear. Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 13, then verses 16 through 18. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? So the, this is set up. The king is angry because he just had this ceremony where this, this statue, the king's statue, was all, all decked out there and introduced to the people. And all the people, the thousands of people, all bowed down simultaneously. And there's these three guys who didn't bow down. They just stood up. And if you stand up when everybody else is bowing down, you stick out like a sore thumb. So That's for sure. <laughs> so, so King Nebuchadnezzar loves these guys. But he said... But, <laughs> yeah, the penalty was death. Yeah. So he's giving him a chance. He's saying, look, let's do it again. I'm gonna, maybe you weren't thinking clearly. Realize that I'm the king. Realize I have power over your life. Realize that if you don't comply, that furnace with the fire, that's where you're going to end up. And what God can save you from my hand? There, there, there's power and there's pride and, there's, and, 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 and there is an irrevocable promise made by this king. So the threat was life-ending, and the challenge was faith-shaking. What do you do? What do you do? Verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So their answer is, we don't need time to think. We don't need time to confer with one another. We don't need time to consult anything or anybody because they said, our God can't deliver us. But here's the beautiful part. They say, but even if he doesn't, even if we are burned to death, in that fire, let it be known that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is a powerful, powerful lesson in loyalty to God. So how do we wrap that up? Loyalty is established in the process, not in the end result. And remember, that's what we tell them who you are in, in, in the, in the, uh, the soundbite before. It was talking about the process, not the end result. Here's the beautiful thing. These three Hebrews told Nebuchadnezzar exactly who they were. They told him what was important to them. They stood for their faith because it was the only thing that mattered. And even if it cost them their life, they would stand for it. They would burn for it. And they were ready to burn for it. God delivered them. And Rick, we can mess up our loyalty to God if we worship idols such as cars, homes, people, wealth, our loyalty and devotion is then divided. It's not focused, God-centered. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and that's, a, that's another important thing. We live in a time where things are very, very important and very, very focused and very, very vital. And, you know, back in those days, it wasn't the neighbor looking over the fence at the other neighbor saying, wow, their lawn looks better than mine. I better do something about it. You know, <laughs> it just didn't work that way. You know, look, this is a most important lesson. It's the, the, the process of loyalty to God. Don't be loyal to the winner. Be loyal to the righteous side. 
And I think that's important. They didn't know if they were going to win or lose this battle. And they didn't care. What they cared about was, if I have to go down loyal to God, then I will go down loyal to God. Let it be said, that's how I will live or die, if need be. So, Jonathan, there's a powerful focusing of our loyalty to God in this particular story about standing up. And again, look, we're not faced with a, a fiery furnace. No, we're not. But we do have those fiery furnace-type experiences in our lives. And sometimes we have to stand up when it's not comfortable. That's loyalty to God. Well, Rick, those to whom God Almighty is loyal receive eternal care, compassion, and faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So here we're looking at God's loyalty to us. His loyalty gives us eternal care, eternal compassion, and eternal faithfulness. And this is one of the great scriptures of the Bible. His compassions are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And Jonathan, you know, when you have a God that is that faithful and that true and that sound and that dependable, it makes being loyal to him so much more of a, a, a thrill and a privilege, not a responsibility, but a privilege. And a, I want to be because his loyalty is overwhelming toward us. And so we, we just, we want to latch on to, to the loyalty of God to us and use it to, and reflect it back to him as best as we can in our own little imperfect way. What's next after loyalty to God? Refocusing our loyalty to Christ. How okay. about the Apostle Paul? You know, how crystal clear is he in his conviction to only follow Christ? Okay, and let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 25, and then verse 27. Let's just do verse 21 first. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know. If that's not loyalty to Christ, I don't know what is. <laughs> that's for sure. You know, and but just realize, this is not some, some poetic, some inspirational little ditty that the Apostle Paul wrote. Oh, I'll inspire him with this. This is his heartfelt sense. To die is gain because I'm that much closer. And that's where I want to be. So the equation for Paul's life was really simple. It was just a matter of how to follow through with it. And he had a dilemma because he had been very, very, very faithful up to this point. And he's thinking about his life and, and, and the prospect of being with Christ. And then he's thinking about the brethren and, 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 and those around him. And here's his dilemma, verses 22 and 23 and 24. And it's interesting because we always read, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, and we always stop there. Well, here's the context of that statement. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed for both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So what, what's he saying, Jonathan? He's comparing it, and what's he saying in terms of, of going or staying? He knows the brotherhood still needs guidance and direction for their faithfulness. And and he's willing to do it, but he sure would rather be be faithful to Christ and be with Christ. Obviously, that means be dead. 
and right. be in heaven with Christ. Right. He he would die and then he'd be raised up at the, in the last day, but it would right. be an instant for him. And, right. and and so he's saying that would be that is the ideal for me. But like you said, but I realize that you need guidance, you need direction, you need inspiration, you need spiritual spirituality, and that's what I'm here for. So what does he say? Verses 25 and 27. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And Rick, in this uh, last verse, I was reading it and it came to mind when he says, stand firm, that reminded me of a sense of trust. And when it said, of, of one mind striving, that reminded me of sense of purpose. And for the faith of the gospel, that's the sense of belonging. It really fits. It, it does fit. And so that soundbite from previously in, in this segment just drops right in. And the principles are always the same. See, loyalty always works the same way. The question is, are we applying it on the right principles toward the right things and the right people? And so the Apostle Paul is saying, to be truly loyal to Christ is to ultimately embrace whatever the experiences are that lie before us. Loyalty to Christ means whatever is in front of me, I will embrace. That can be hard, especially when what's in front of you is not uh, appealing, is not happy, is not what we would rather have. And the Apostle Paul really did want to be with the Lord, but he realized that he would remain and he'd work extra hard because others needed him. And that's how he was being faithful to the Lord. It's just a beautiful picture of his loyalty to Christ as expressed through his loyalty to the brotherhood. And now, Rick, the next step is refocusing our loyalty to one another, the body of Christ. Be merciful and encouraging. Okay, so, you know, at this point, you know, we've got being loyal to God, be steadfast for God, be loyalty, our loyalty to Christ, be crystal clear in your conviction. And now you just mentioned loyalty to one another, be merciful and encouraging one to another. Let's look at Romans 14, verses 5 through 8. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So he's saying there are some of you that have convictions toward different things. And he's saying, that's okay. Now, as long as it's not, you know, real basic principles of, of, of Christianity, he's saying, some of you won't eat meat offered to idols, some of you will. Okay, for both of you. Why? Because you're both doing, because you think that's what God wants you to do. And so for the one who eats the meat offered to idols, God bless you. And for the one who won't eat the meat offered to idols, God bless you. It's the same. And he's saying, we've got to see and be, be embracing on those things. Verse 7 and 8. For not... For not one of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So he's saying that individuals on both sides of that issue could be faithful even unto their death. And that's a great example for us. Even you know, And look, you know what, Jonathan? Some of those folks were, were misinterpreting things. It was okay to eat meat offered to idols. Yes. But Paul realized the sensitivity of the conscience of some and some of their background wouldn't get them to that point. And he said, it's still okay 
because your heart is for God and you're not violating the basic Christian principles of morality and so forth and so on and the basic doctrines of Christ. So, so the bottom line for this is what? To be loyal to one another is to give each other space to grow in Christ as we are given space to grow ourselves. So give the space to others because God has given it to you. And, you know, it's just a simple, simple equation. So what's our final, final loyalty learned lesson? Living a life of godly and principled loyalty is a process of steadfastness, clear conviction, and giving to others. It is honoring God by walking the walk and talking the talk of Christ. Okay. A life of godly and principled loyalty. That's really what we are supposed to be about, living our lives in such a way that the things that we decide are important. See, Jonathan, the things we decide are important are the things we decide to be loyal to. That's right. So you can't be loyal to something that you haven't really looked at. You know, the idea of people saying, well, you know, I believe in Jesus and everything's fine, that doesn't cut it. Because you can't establish loyalty upon a statement. It has to be upon a belief that has been proven, that has been given time and effort, so that it knows exactly how it's supposed to work. That's the way Christian loyalty is. It's provable. It's something that you go through life and you develop. Our loyalty to God is first. Our loyalty to Christ is built right on top of that as we walk in his footsteps. And then, folks, let's be loyal to one another because that is how we ultimately show God and Jesus, how we glorify them. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, it is about being truly, truly loyal. It's something all of us can and should do. So focus on the true meaning of loyalty, then go do it. Until next week, loyalty is where our lives are made. Think about it. Folks, look, we love hearing from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, in Google Play, in Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And don't forget, coming up next week, we'll be talking about, this is an important one, how do I strike back at betrayal? How do I strike back at betrayal? It happens in all of our lives. What are we supposed to do about it? Talk to you next week, and we'll find out.